Let's pray. God of grace, we gather here today um, in light of the reality of the brokenness, of the violence, of the hurt and the pain of this world. And maybe on a day like to this, more than ever, we come to hear who you are and what you are about. And maybe most especially that you are close, that you're near, that you're moving, and that you're leading us on to what your purpose and plan is for each of us and for the world. And so open our hearts, our ears, our eyes, our lives to the power of your word, your story. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, here, at, here at Mount Olivet, um, starting in September, uh, we're dwelling in Old Testament stories, and each one of them is a call story. Not just in the Bible is it a call story, but it's a call story for us. And we're taking time to think about that. How is God calling us as a church? And so today we hear the story that Kathy just read about Samuel, who eventually will become a judge of Israel. And part of Samuel's work will be to anoint the first king of Israel, Saul, and eventually he will anoint King David. And what's interesting about this story is Samuel is called when he is a young boy. It's a call that starts early in his life and then crescendos. But where I want to start today is this interesting detail of the call story that's actually in the opening verses. And it says this, the word of the Lord was rare and visions were not widespread. Now, typically in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for rare is used to describe, everywhere else in the Bible, it's used to describe like stones or gems. Something that is rare because of its lack of supply. But here in this story, rare is used to describe the word of God. Doesn't that seem strange to you? And it makes us wonder, and I have to say, Sometimes the best way to enter into the Bible is to ask questions. Why is the word of the Lord so rare? And why weren't people able to see God's vision? Well, in this story, it is the preceding chapters that tell us God's vision may have been so rare because the leaders of Israel were more focused on themselves than God. Most especially Eli, who we hear about in this story, Eli's sons were taking the money that was given in the temple and they were using it for their own benefit rather than giving it to the community to help others. So the visions were so rare because no one was being attentive to God's vision. And God's vision is big. It's for the world. Now you got to play with me a little bit here. I would like to add an unlikely character to this story, Oprah Winfrey. Now hang with me for a minute. Imagine Oprah 
sitting with the young boy Samuel and the old Eli in the temple at night. Now, the reason I think about Oprah is Oprah has a few things to say about visions being rare. One of the many things that Oprah Winfrey is known for is her love of vision boards. Does anyone know what a vision board is? Anybody? Kathy Schmidt knows what a vision board is. She's known for vision boards. And, and what vision boards are, quite simply, is you, be, you begin with a white sheet of paper, and then you fill that piece of paper with images or words from magazines or books, and the thought is then, if you cut out and put on this board things that you're drawn to, things that you like, things that you are about or you want to be about, and you place them together, that you'll be able to see patterns emerge or themes emerge or to be able to look at something bigger. So Connor has a picture. I don't know whose vision board this is, but somebody's vision board. So see there, so they put all these pictures and words on a board. And what Oprah says is when you can put things down and look at them, you could see the direction of the future. And I've actually done one myself, and I can say it's a helpful activity. So it makes me wonder, what if we did a vision board for Mount Olivet? And every single member of this church would have an opportunity to put a word or an image on that board. And what if we then, once all of that was collected, started to look for a pattern or an image that was emerging for what God's vision is for our church. Now, this story breaks open another important dimension about God's vision. And that is that it's not only seen, but it's heard. God's vision is not only seen, but it's heard. It's interesting that in order to see God's vision for us individually, for our church, or for the world, that we must listen. And what are we listening for? We're listening for God speaking to us, God calling to us. So in this story, it's actually three times that Samuel hears his name, Samuel, Samuel. So he goes to his mentor, Eli, thinking that his mentor has called him in the middle of the night. And finally, Eli realizes, I'm not calling you Samuel. Something else is going on. So the fourth time, Eli says to the boy, when you hear your name again, say this, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. There is an acknowledgement that God is calling, I hear you God speak, and also this openness for what is to come. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So God does speak, and he tells Samuel that Eli's family will be punished for their greed and their self-interest and their lack of faithfulness. And so Samuel must deliver this harsh message to Eli. Talk about your most difficult assignment being your first assignment. 
But for as corrupt as Eli allowed his sons to be, he encouraged Samuel to name the message. He wanted to hear what God was saying to him. He was wise enough to know that you cannot hold back God's vision. Now, oftentimes, these Bible stories can seem out of reach. Maybe it's difficult for us to imagine a modern-day version of the story of Samuel. How would God call us by name to live out his vision? But you know what I like about this story? Is it names the reality of our lives. There's a human struggle in hearing and heeding God's call. Samuel missed it three times, and so did Eli. We can't quite anticipate when the call will come or how we will be able to see God's vision. And even if we think maybe it is God, there's a hesitancy to move forward because we don't quite know. I think the good news in this story is that God is willing to enter that mess, the human struggle. He knows we're gonna miss it, to stay with us when we miss that mark and we don't clearly understand. And even in our hesitancy or uncertainty about the future, he leads us forward. The call in this story is that in order to see God's vision, we must listen and then respond. So how do we listen? We're doing it today. We do it every week when we worship. There's a chunk of scripture and we ask questions. What do we hear in this story? And then in some way in our daily lives, when we walk out of this place, we respond. So we are actually this movement of, here I am, Lord, speak, your servant is listening. And what is God's vision all about? It's big, but I think it's everywhere in scripture, and there's a couple places I wanna point out today. The first is Mary, when she finds out she's pregnant, with God's son, she has this poetry, this song, Mary's Magnificat, and she says, he has shown strength with his arms, he has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts, he has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly, he has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Mary is speaking the story of the Old Testament of God's faithfulness for all people, especially those who do not have enough. That's God's vision. And then powerful words that Jesus says in the beginning of his ministry from the Gospel of Luke, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release of the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. God's vision is big, but it also comes so specifically to each one of us 
And I think to our church here at Mount Olivet, as we look ahead, we know things will be different. And it's clear that in order for us to see God's vision and hear God's call, we need to take time to listen and then we need to respond. And so here's my crazy idea. What if we indeed placed our trust on God's faithfulness and his ability to lead us to know what's next for us as a church? What if each of the 600 families here at Mount Olivet literally said, here I am. And in saying here I am, that each family decided to pledge financially to this community, but not only pledge money, but to contribute their presence. What if every family said, this is what I want to contribute, here are the ways I will do it. Quite literally, what would that look like on a huge canvas? What would we see emerging? I think what we would see is God's vision for us manifest in the flesh and blood of all of us in this community for the sake of the world. And what is quite beautiful is this work is not meant for certain people. It's collaborative work, but it requires each of us to contribute and to be open to what God is doing what God's vision will be for Mount Olivet. But it is also deeply hopeful and what God is calling his people to do. You see, again in this story, it's about relationship. We are a tangible community, and as we continue our mission of finding God, finding our place in God's unfolding story, it becomes real and specific in the things that we are about in this building, but also the things that we are about, each one of us in the world. God's vision is not rare. It's alive, it's incarnate, it's moving, and it's so very close to us. May we see it unfold at Mount Olivet. Here we are. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen.